الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد وأنتم الأعلون إن كنتم مؤمنين Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about a very specific um, issue and he does this in four verses. Uh, he talks about steps, khutuwat al-shaytan, the steps of the shaytan. Khutuwat al-shaytan. So there's four places. First in Surah Al-Baqarah. وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ مُّبِينٌ don't follow the footsteps of the shaitan. He is your clear enemy. Shaitan is sworn to be the enemy of mankind. To try to mislead us. He does that through steps. It's not all at once. He won't throw us into the fire straight away. It'll be steps. So I think today we want to discuss these steps. Another verse, again in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this again in verse 208. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا ادْخُلُوا فِي السِّلْمِ كَافَّةٌ وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ مُّبِينٌ So what's added here is, O oh people who believe, enter into Islam fully whole, as a whole, not just partially in, one foot in, one foot out. Again, do not follow in the footsteps of shaitan. Do not follow the footsteps of shaitan because he is your clear enemy again. So here we have this idea that following the shaitan means that you've got one foot out because the path of shaitan cannot be the path of Islam. And it's a very simple distinction. Number three, Surah Al-An'am, one, uh, verse 142, Allah says, وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ مُّبِينٌ Similar, but here, eat of what Allah has provided you. Eat of what Allah sustains you with. Don't follow the footsteps of the shaytan. He's a clear enemy. And lastly, in Surah Al-Nur, verse 21, the chapter of light, Nur. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ وَمَنْ يَتَّبِعْ خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَإِنَّهُ يَأْمُرُ فِي فَإِنَّهُ يَأْمُرُ بِالْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ So, O oh people who believe, do not follow the footsteps of the shaytan. Whoever does follow in the footsteps of shaytan, then he just commands fahsha and munkar. Fahsha, vulgarities, unchastity, vices, deviancies, especially sexual deviancies, munkar, and just all wrong. Things that Islam does not recognize as being right, or as being good. The opposite of ma'roof. The opposite of ma'roof. Ma'roof is that which is seen as decent in the deen. So, this is the way of shaitan. These four verses and a number of other verses, they talk about khutuwat shaitan, steps of shaitan. Shaitan will hardly ever take somebody and put him into a pub straight away. Right? You will first get used to the idea. You may get used to first um, a shisha bar. Uh, there's a lot of problems with shisha bars apparently. I mean, I 
I only went into one once, right? That's because actually I was in Glasgow and uh, one of the brothers there who was a student uh, of the deen, he said, Shay, what do you think about shisha bars? I said, well, I don't really know too much about them. I know I don't like shisha and shisha should not be done. And I know a lot of even some people who think they're decent do shisha and you shouldn't do, right? Uh, once I was in Egypt, in Khan Khalili, where you smell this stuff all, all over the place, right? If you've been to Egypt, there's a famous bazaar there, the Khan Khalili, and you just smell this stuff. So somebody with me, with a big beard, uh, one of our brothers who was with us, uh, he was into a bit of shisha, so he did it. Then we met some Arab brothers, some Egyptian brothers, some religious, but I don't think any of them had beards, right? So, they were, but they were religious. You know, and I just asked him. I said, "What do you guys think of the shisha?" He said, "Brother, haram." <laughs> said, haram, yaakhi. Like, how can you talk about shisha? It's a good job he didn't see our brother with the big beard doing it, <laughs> right? Because then when people think it's it's not the same as smoking, or smoking has ikhtilaf. I'm not going to go into smoking. Uh, I'm not going to talk about smoking. But the the point is that. <coughs> So this brother from Glasgow, he said, let me take, I've got a, uh, one of my friends own one, owns one. So he called him up, I went in there, and then he told me everything that goes. It's, it, because if somebody tells their parents, I'm going to a shisha bar. Okay, he's not going to a pub. He's not going to a bar, like sharabi bar. It's just shisha. No, it's, oh, we only sit down and we do a bit of shisha. Shisha will be one thing, but there's a lot of, and then some shisha places have actually these little cubicles that you can rent privately. And then it's just extra steps of the shaitan. Then you get used to that. Eventually, there's some people I've seen in America when I was there, lots of people used to go to the bar. It's like, okay, just we want to fit in, but we're going to drink orange juice. Uh, we're just going to drink orange juice. But slowly, slowly, there's a lot of peer pressure, even for adults, there's a lot of peer pressure. So it's always khutuwat is shaitan. Just to give you an idea, just to give you an explanation. Now, today we have a short amount of time and we, did we say question and answers as well, right? So we don't have too much time and I don't want to bore you with what I think is uh, important because it may be irrelevant to you. So I want to give you an opportunity to also ask questions. But I actually sat with some people, uh, some young, young people who've just come out of being teenagers. They're no longer in their teens, they're just over 20. So I sat with them today and I said, tell me, give me some guidance for teenagers. I mean, I was a teenager a very long time ago. And when I was a teenager, it was a bit different. There were issues, clearly there were issues, no doubt. But those issues were very different. Today, mashallah, innovation is uh, innovation, you know, new things, advancements. So even in teenagers, there's a lot of advancements, new language, new, uh, uh, new slang. All sorts of things are new. So I said, you tell me what it is. So they gave me a whole list. And I thought, subhanallah, this is uh, make it more relevant to our teenagers today. But this is not just for teenagers. I want to speak to the parents as well. It's always difficult to actually talk to two generations or three generations at once. Allah help us. Now, if we start off with a few basic points. If our... Lots of times people come and they say that we want our children to marry so-and-so, so but they don't want to marry them and we've got this huge war in the house. So I said, well, you've only got yourself to blame. I said, why? Well, if you had 
interacted with them and come onto a common understanding from a younger age, especially during their formulation age, which is a teenage age, and you are on the same kind of vibe with them, you'd come to them and they'd come to you, then maybe at this time you wouldn't have this difference of opinion. Maybe you would listen to what they want and they would have listened to what you want and you would have met somewhere in between. But what it may be is that you've neglected them until now, not been on a common platform and now you're saying do this and they want to do that. So it's a bit too late sometimes. I think if our children don't marry who we would like them to marry, it means some of us, somebody's failed here. Right? I think we're going to have to face up to that. All of this starts early. You just can't switch something on. You can't switch tarbiyat on at the age of 14, 15. It has to start earlier than that. Where they trust us. They know that we're the ones to come to. Because we're going to talk with wisdom to them. That we're going to give them guidance. We're going to listen to them. We're going to listen to them. We're going to try to understand them. And we're going to try to meet somewhere. But if we've not done that and the, they're not trusting us because of that, then how do you recreate that? How do you recreate that relationship and trust? Trust is very difficult to recreate. So this is a huge, this is a huge challenge. So there's a it has to start early or it has to start at home. Now I would say that when it gets to the beginning years until the age of 10 or so, uh, the parents can control a lot. MashaAllah. The children generally end up doing what the parents want. Then they start getting 11, 12, it's still okay. Once they start getting to 13, 14, MashaAllah, their brain has developed now. Like it has to, come on. You can't stay a child anymore. You don't want your children to stay childish anymore. Their brain is going to develop. This is the physics, right? This is the, 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 the biology that the brain develops, right? The neurons and everything. And there's certain segments of the brain. There's a risk uh, there's a risk-taking segment. That one doesn't develop until about 28 or something. So that's why teenagers and youth, young, uh, young men, young women, they, will, they are willing to take gambles and risks. Until about 28, that's when they kind of calm down. And a person's mind and everything generally matures fully, emotionally, in every aspect, at about the age of 40. So it's a huge development. Now what happens is that when the 13, 14, 15 is developing, they start finding new energies within them that they can think for themselves now. That's a very crucial time. And this is when maktabs let them go. We've taught you enough. You finish Quran. You can go now. That's actually the time where we need maktab most. That's why we started adult class. We started calling them advanced classes. We didn't want them to think they're still in little children maktab. Because then they think, oh, we've been doing this for so long. We want to change the whole psychology of it. Right? So they were now going to be treated as adults, meaning young adults, from the age of 14 and so on. It was extremely popular. The only reason we had to actually let the class go is the a class had been with us for one year. We had another class. We had shortage of space. So it's like, really sorry, they really wanted to stay because that's when they really understand now. Because now they're studying things with a more adult mind. Until now, they studied everything with a child's mind. Now they really want to define their life. Because they're learning so much. We've let them go, but the school, social media is teaching them so many other things. And they're like, oh wow, that's life. That's what it's got to do. But what does Islam say about this life? 
Now, if you don't have that environment at home, they've lost the madrasa environment in many cases. Alhamdulillah, some madrasas carry on, and it's very important. But there's the home life. Now, if the parents are too busy, or they just don't know, or they're just out of sync, then there's what we're allowing our children to do, teenagers to do, is to develop an, a worldview, a psyche, a mentality that is going to be just picked out from whatever they see around. That's not a very healthy way to do it, is it? You know, we need some guidance at that time to guide people. We need to give them the tools of guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love, connection with Allah, fear of Allah, all of that needs to be in their heart. We can't look after our children and watch them and supervise them 24-7. For example, imagine if your child comes back from school and you, you, it's winter now, Right? So you can't come back and pray Dhuhr. You have to do Dhuhr Asr in the, at school because Maghrib is at 3.57 or something. And your child comes back and you said, did you pray namaz? And he said, no, I didn't. Are you to be happy or angry? Huh? Okay, put your hand up if you're happy. Okay, that's a few discerning people who say that. I will put my hand up. I was actually happy. Who says this? Who would be unhappy? The rest of you, where are you, man? <laughs> Come on, you have to be somewhere or the other. You can't be on the, you know, this is like, where, where would you be? Right. It looks like most people are going to be unhappy. I can understand, you're both right. I was actually happy. You know why? He could have told me I prayed. He could have told his mother I prayed. Who was going to go on a check? We had spies down there. There was no tracker of, you know, there's a tracker of where you are, but there's no tracker of what you do. You know, on your phone. He doesn't have a phone anyway, but... You know, some people track us on people's phone, like, where you been? But you can't track their movement. It's like, oh, he prostrate. Look, namaz parrayo, abhi. Or namaz parrayo. She's actually going to a khanka. <laughs> right? So, because he said, I couldn't find the space. Right now, there's a, there's a college that is going through some huge turmoil because they just don't let the students pray. This, this school, alhamdulillah, they let the students pray, but you have to juggle across the timings. And uh, so he just didn't know how to do it yet, right? <clears throat> now, we've spoken, you know, we've come up with ideas. You wear wudu socks, so you don't get caught with your foot in the sink, in the school toilets. Because if you have to do wudu as well, wow. Like, if you have to do wudu in the school toilets, like... Do all of that, then wash your feet as well. So we, they pray all my children just worn wudu socks. So at least you don't have to wash your feet. You can do masa on them. You have to be creative. Alhamdulillah, then he figured out how to do it. You know, you'd ask a teacher, find an empty room, just quickly pray, put your jacket down, just pray. Alhamdulillah. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have. To, we have to teach our children not just to pray. That's just part of it. That's just for the remembrance of Allah. We have to teach them the remembrance of Allah, the consciousness of Allah, and not to lie. That's very important. If our children have learned to lie, you don't know. You're in another world. You just don't know what they're doing then. Because they can tell you, and they can be very, very convincing. So, these are some of the challenges. The God-fearingness. That's why we need to teach our children from a young age not just par, 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 or pray, 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 but why they should pray. Now, this might sound a bit primitive, but if I have a small example, your name was again what? Ashwaq. Ashwaq, mashallah. 
And what's your name? It's the Adidas. Abdul Muhit. MashaAllah. The servant of the encompassing one. Did you know that? Well, you better know. It's your name, man. It's a, it's a really good meaning. It's a very powerful meaning. You're the servant of the encompassing one. That's Allah. So, Abdul Muhit, do you have a auntie? MashaAllah. Do you have an auntie that likes to give you a lot of stuff? Sweets and she gets like giving you hugs and all that kind of stuff, like smothers you. Oh, mashallah. Everybody has one. Well, hopefully, right? Everybody has one of those kalas or foyis or fufis or whatever you want to call it. An auntie like that, right? Now imagine you go to her house and, you know, you make salam with her and, you know, she talks to you. But in now that you're getting older, what you do is you just go to their house and you go and quickly want to go on the place and you don't even want to say salam to her. You just want to go and play. Do you think she's going to be happy with that? Is she still going to be giving you stuff and everything now? She's going to think, man, this guy's so ungrateful, isn't it? Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us so much. Allah has given us everything. So shouldn't we remember him as well? Otherwise he'll get upset with us. Right? That's why we pray. To thank Allah. To, to connect with him. To speak to him. Right? We need to use examples. In life to make deen a reality. So that it's not just a set of rules. Also another thing. Um, this I'm going to take from Yusuf Patel Saab. Who's sitting here. Right? You might r recognize this. Children need three things from us. Right? The three A's. Remember that. This is all children. They need that. One is aff affection. They need to know that we love them. They need to know that we love them. Now we all love them inshallah. Right? We do this because we love you, but we don't tell them we love them. What are the words to say, I love you? That's maybe difficult. Like, I love you. How do you say that? Right? Sounds a bit too romantic. You know? How do you say that? So, they need to know we love them because love is a very important human need. Love is an extremely important human need. Everybody wants to be loved. And they want to love and they want to be loved. That's number one. Number two, they need affirmation. So this affection and then affirmation. What is affirmation? We need to affirm that we value them for who they are and for what they are. Positive reinforcement. So we can't force them to do things they don't want to do in terms of career choices and things like that. We'd rather reinforce and find out what they're talented at. Some are more talented with their mind, smart. Some are more smarter physically, where they like to build things and so on. And there's scope for all of that in Islam. So we need to affirm, provide positive reinforcement. We, we need to let them know when we are pleased. We can let them know when we're upset, which we all do, but we also let, let them know when we are pleased. And number three, which is probably one of the biggest ones, is attention. We have to give them attention. Now, what does attention mean? There's a recent uh, study that shows that actually um, a lot of people think that we need to make the children the center of our attention. That's not necessarily true. The center of attention needs to be the husband and wife. If you've got husband and wife relationship is stable, then that creates stability in the home for the children. Children need a stable environment. The same thing really. It's just focus on each other to such a degree that you create that stability. Let the husband get on with his work and let the wife get on and they complement one another. 
and they don't have many problems within them, then inshallah that will be a stable home. Because a lot of the problems outside, you will see people causing a lot of issues, uh, crime. If you do a study, a lot of them actually is because they've had an unstable upbringing. Either the absence of a father. Generally, it's an absence of a father. There can be an absence of a mother as well, but mostly it's an absence of a father. Maybe the dad deficit syndrome, if you want to name it that. Right? That creates a lot of issues and instability. You need stability and Allah has made that system of both father and mother being involved in that. So they need attention. And if we give them our time, doesn't mean 24 hours, but if we give them time, it shows that we care for them and we value them. Anybody who's starved, young people who are starved of these three things, because you need them as human beings, you need attention, affection and affirmation, because you need that. If you don't get it from the parents, you're going to look for it elsewhere. You're going to find it in a gang. You're going to find it in classmates. You're going to find it online, on social media. You're going to find it somewhere else. And there's lots of people outside to give love, false love, for the, especially to girls. I mean, the sisters are listening as well, right? Especially the girls, they're even, I mean, everybody's vulnerable, but the girls are even more vulnerable because there's lots of Tom, Dick and Harry's out there who try to act as the love, uh, you know, to give love and uh, compliments and affection. And if somebody's been deprived of that, then they're naturally emotionally going to incline that direction and then they get abused. If you look at many of the abuse cases, this was the background. This was the reason. Most of the girls were deprived of this and people took advantage of it. Right. I'm going to break this down quickly into four different or five different categories. So, in a teenager's life, there's going to be four or five areas that you have to be really concerned about. Number one is the social media influence. It's the biggest one, I think. After the home, after the parent interaction, it's the social media. So, our young brothers and sisters, and also adults, if you don't understand this as well, everything you see on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or wherever is not a reality. People go to, especially influencers, they go to huge amounts of production costs to make something seem amazing, fascinating, extraordinary, tantalizing, dramatic. Because that's what's going to get the likes. There's so many out there. How are you going to go to one? How are you going to attract somebody to yourself? So a lot of it is a lot of camera, a lot of makeup, a lot of uh, props and other things to make it like that. You just can't do that at home. It's not a reality. It doesn't represent real life. Generally on, uh, on popular social media, they, it, the reason they're popular is because they're extreme in a sense. They're doing something extreme. Right? And generally it's towards the shaitani side because that's what's going to pull at the, the nafs, the, the lowly soul. Every human being within themselves has a nafs which gets pulled towards all vices of this world. And they know exactly how to do that. For example, you've got somebody who's got a new handbag every day. Louis Vuitton sometimes, sometimes Cartier, sometimes Christian Dior, you know, all of this stuff. Like, you really think somebody, normal person is going to have that? You might have one. Like every day is a new one. That's not normal. You can't have that. Right? Unless you're a crazy billionaire. Then, you know, you can have whatever, but that's just a different category. That's a different thing we're talking about. 
right? So now you think that you need that as well. The other big problem that we have today is that there's influencers online that are Muslim. And you have to be careful that Muslim influencers, if they're not proper scholars, they don't necessarily represent the scholarly position of Islam, the proper view of Islam. They're just influencers who happen to be Muslim. They happen to be Muslim just because they're Muslim does not mean that they will know all the rules and regulations of Islam. I think most of them don't even claim that, but people think that. For example, we have one sheikh here who's a, mashallah, he's studied. He's got students who are bigger influences online than he is. They have more following. So he goes to another country and they ask him that, do you know Ali Dawah? For example, it's like, yeah, he's my student. It's like, I need to ask him a question. Ignore that you're the teacher. Just, I need to ask him a question. Because that's what it does. Like, you see, so don't think that even who are Muslim, that they are Muslim scholars. This has been the case big time. This has been a major confusion for a very long time. This is exactly what happened with Ahmad Didat, rahmatullahi. His focus was Christianity. But people would ask him questions about divorce sometimes. He, that, he wasn't a Muslim scholar in that sense. Zakir Naik, same thing. He's, that's, he's good at comparative religion. But then he's out there, somebody's asking questions about three divorces and then he'll give you a fatwa about it. Right? So he's very good at one thing, but that doesn't mean you have to become good at everything. There's certain questions you can ask me and I'll say, I don't know. Certain questions of things that I've not studied yet. Right, I may have studied many different Islamic sciences, but there's certain things I'm like, I just don't know. You know, maybe when you ask me questions, I'll say, I don't know, because I can't know everything. But I can try to find out for you. So one has to be very careful with this. Then you've got the female ones who are hijab styles, clothing styles. But they happen to be Muslim. So it's like, okay, that must be proper Islamic. I need to look like that. Now, do you know that by you just watching them, you're making a lot of money for them? Every YouTube what you watch, YouTube video you watch of somebody like that, you're just making money. That's why they put it out. They're making some money out of that. When they run out of ideas of different, I mean, how many hijab styles can there be in the world? Like, how many hijab styles can there be? There's only a certain number. Like, oh, a thousand, two thousand. Like, you run out of ideas. So then when they run out of ideas, then they take the hijab off now. Because it's now a new drama. So now the people who are following that, religiously, they get really confused. This causes huge confusion. She's a Muslim, hijabi. Hijabis, there are hijabis and there are hijabis. Just like, you know, you get the Adana kebab and the Sikh kebab and, and so on. I mean, I'm not putting hijabis down, but you get people are different. So you mustn't think that just because somebody wears a hijab, they're fine. And there's these weird ideas out there that you can wear a hijab and everything, but then you leave a part of your... I, I, I don't know this. I was told by... I was just told today that this is a new fad. That you have to leave your ankle showing. But you're covering your head. Like, what's going on here? Right. Now, poor sisters, our poor young sisters, they're like, oh, okay, that's a new style. It must be okay. Because he's a Muslim. That's why I will tell you something. Why did I become... Why did I study the deen and religion? A lot of people ask me that, so I say, first I used to think it's because 
my father's a hafiz and alim. My mother was like a, a, what do you call it, a de facto hafiz, but not officially. She could take my mistakes out when cooking while I was memorizing because she just read the Quran so much, but she was not officially a hafiz. My both grandfathers are hafiz of the Quran, one was a qari as well. My uncle was a mufti, another one is a hafiz of the Quran, and the third one was an amir of tabligh, and uh, come on, like, alhamdulillah. Everybody can't have that. So how can I benefit you with that? That's me. That's what I was given, but I can't transfer that to you. Maybe you can start doing that for your next generation, but I can't transfer that to you. But there's a lot of people who, everybody in their family is a doctor or a alim, and they don't want to be an alim or a doctor. They, they're like, I'm sick of this stuff. Like, I've dealt with one kid, uh, in, well, actually more than a number of university students, especially in America, their parents want them to be doctors because they're a doctor, the mother's a doctor, the uncles are doctors. The, it's like, doctor, that's it. You can't be anything less than a doctor. This is some community is a crazy idea. They wanna, they're forcing, I don't want to be a doctor. Right? So sometimes just because you have that environment in the house, that doesn't make you do that. There's people I know, they've got wonderful businesses, but the children, nobody wants to take that business on. The parents, the, the, the father has to sell the business off. Nobody wants to take it on. They just don't want it. I'm sick of that stuff. I've been seeing it since I was born. Right? It happens. So what was it really? Well, when I really look back, I think it's because of the way the deen was glorified in my house. I think that's the real reason, which made like, I want to be like that as well. When somebody would be a half like it would be glorified. Ulama were never put down. Ulama were never criticized, were never mocked. It was always glorified. The deen was glorified. The books of Islam were glorified. That made me like, wow, I'm in a glorious system. A deen was in action. I want to be part of the action. So you have to remember there's difference in these things. You have to make the deen a livable deen in your house. And the deen is very comprehensive. It's just not just namaz and, and fasting in the month of Ramadan. There's a big interaction that happens in that. That's why I really think that why I picked up this. I was like, yeah, man, I want to be part of this. This is amazing. Right? And that's what everybody can do. In fact, you can even do the first one. If you've not had that, like your parents and, and your uncles were not alims and harvids, that's fine. But you can start from now in your tree, in your descendants. And mashallah, you know, uh, my wife's family, uh, the father, the fa none of her, her father or brothers, none of them are her alims. But every single son, uh, I mean, every cousin of hers, male cousin, they're all hafiz of the Quran. He's got like six uncles or five or six uncles. All of them are hafiz of the Quran. Right? And I can see another family where, inshallah, all the girls and boys will be hafiz of the Quran. Because until now, they're all doing hifs. And it's just not that they're hafiz of the Quran, they're sitting back and struggling. <laughs> That's another thing. Uh, people think that uh, the, when you're religious, you don't enjoy life. Like, you guys are boring. <coughs> That's what a lot of people think. That when you become religious, you don't know how to fun. There's no fun, because fun is all haram. Right? There's no halal fun. I was at a program two weeks ago, outside of London somewhere. And this is the vibe I was getting. So it's like, okay, how do you enjoy halal fun? Or how do you enjoy life in a halal way? It's like, I didn't know what to say, because I have a wonderful life. Alhamdulillah, I've really enjoyed my life. Right? But I couldn't think. And then I just asked, okay, I said, okay, who's been... Uh, who's, who's had a flight on first class? 
right? Now people, they might have gone into business class, but first class is a whole different, you know. And you know what? It was another alim who said they had been. It's like, are you serious? It was another Maulana. So there were only two people, two Maulanas who had had first class flights. SubhanAllah. You know, I didn't have to pay for them. I mean, I got mine on points. Right? I'm not saying that's the end all of what I'm saying, but I'm saying that you can enjoy halal ways. I wouldn't do it again. Right? I can tell you a lot of stuff. When you're, when you're religious, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides you in amazing ways. With much less effort. What do I tell you? Much less effort. And you'll have it all. Right? So don't think it's boring. Another thing is... Influencers, to make things dramatic, they have to go crazy. They have to do strange things. Go from one, it starts off with halal maybe, it goes into haram. Right? Initially, they don't show, for example, there's a male influencer, they don't show uh, women, then they start showing women. It's okay. They don't have music, then they start doing music. Because they have to keep abreast of everybody else. Okay, that's the first thing. Number two, importance of family. Like I'm part of family, why the importance of family? This is both for the teenagers and for the parents. We need to make the home a better and comfortable place. Not just comfortable in terms of good beds and good sofas and good furniture, but comfortable in the sense of being able to discuss feeling good at home. You know, if you've got a child, a teenager, who'd rather be playing outside with his friends or in their house, playing outside with friends is like, mashallah, that's... That, that would be great if they can play. But they'd rather be at their friend's house, or if they're at home, they would rather be in their room more than they would be in the, with the family. They just don't like being, they're always sulking, not sulking, but they're always in solitude, etikaf in their room. Then you probably got a problem. Most likely got a problem. Why would they not want to be part of the family? Just recently, um, somebody told me that they met a girl. She's a young girl, as well. she met another girl. And uh, talking about her brother, uh, have you got her, his number? She didn't have her phone number. I said, why don't you have the phone number of your brother? I hardly talk to him. I hardly talk to my brother. I mean, why wouldn't you talk to your brother? That's your brother. That's the one who's there for you, brother and sister. But in some families, the brother and sisters don't, and they're young. There's no relationship. If your child wants to be somewhere else, and if you want to be somewhere else, then that's a problem. You need to find out what the issue is. Why don't they want to be? Is it because we, ha we are the problem that we're making it suffocating? It becomes claustrophobic? Or we're not open enough? Or what's the case here? We're shouting? Or what, what's the case? Or if they got a problem, where's the problem? Have you got, both got a problem? Right? Because eventually they will develop a problem. I mean, I'm saying things in a very straightforward way. Right? Just take it however you want. I don't know if anybody has that problem. If it's you, well, you know, let's store it out. And think about it. There's help. A lot of people don't get help because they think everybody's going to find out. I've been dealing with this for the last 20 years, especially in marriages. But this can be translated everywhere. They only come to you when it's like a point of no return. The guy's been dealing drugs for, on drugs for such a long time, but for the last five years, only after five years when it gets so bad, they'll come and get, try to get help from Imam Saab or somebody. You need to get help right at the beginning if you've not been able to manage it. You need to get help sooner than later. Nowadays, you don't even have to go to local imam. There's 
you can contact them online on the phone Allah you know if you're worried about the whole community finding out you'd rather let people find out than when they find out later when you can't even do anything about it our teenagers are having issues and they just don't know what to do about it parents don't know they leave it too, too long your home should be such that your, your children should be able to come and discuss whatever issue is on their mind that has been discussed at school by the teacher by a special program by uh, uh, by friends you know teach uh, subhanallah i mean we have the el uh, we have the religious uh, not the religious the what's that called RSC? right that stuff we pull our children out of it problem is that next day their friends tell them everything do you understand that's why our maktabs and that are also and you know that's why a lot of people call uh, Yusuf by here to give that because these things you need to know you need to know I just did a small teenage program in Aberdeen and we just had these teenagers Allahu Akbar I mean if you're here then so somebody asked this question that what's so big deal about marriage like what do you get out of marriage what does it feel like being married Said, Subhanallah, being married, it really completes you as a human being because you have somebody to share many things and engage with and interaction with and it fulfills you, right? I kept it vague. So this little 11-year-old kid says, oh, that dirty stuff. I said, what do you mean dirty stuff? Because you know how babies are produced. He wasn't supposed to be. They were supposed to be for over 12s, but he was then very talkative. <laughs> you know? Allah bless him, Allah protect him. He's like, oh, that ugly stuff. That, I said, la hawla wala. There's nothing dirty about that act. It's a sacred act. It's a sacred act. It just needs to be done halal. That's how Allah continues the human race. That's how people come. This is a sacred act. People have been able to uh, get interested in Jannah through this act. It's just people don't understand that. Imam Ghazali says that this reminds you of the highest pleasures of Jannah. It's one of the pleasures of the world that reminds you of the pleasures of Jannah. It's, it's, it's there, it's encouraged. It's not a dirty act. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Abdul Muhid, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Right? So, children should be able to come at home and discuss gender fluidity issues, for example. Because they, I remember once, uh, one of the homework pieces of one of the children was there, it's like really, it was about gender fluidity. Very positive uh, about somebody's experience. SubhanAllah. Right? Now, they're going to read that stuff at home. Uh, sorry, in school. If you can't discuss it at home, then where are they going to discuss it? Madrasa maybe? But if they're not at madrasa, you, can, you can't blame the ulama. If they do it, alhamdulillah, they should do it in the, in the schools, in the madrasas. But if they don't, at the end of the day, the parents have the responsibility should be able to discuss this. I'll give you a simple example. What happens is that in some families, uh, all the girls after the age of 13, 14 become sick once a month. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're sick for about five, seven days. That's what everybody's told. Oh, they're bimar, bimar hai. Is wajah se namaz nahi pad rahi They're sick, that's why they're not praying namaz. Like, what do you mean sickness? This is, menstruation is not a sickness. It's a normal thing for women to do it. If they didn't have it, it'd be a sickness. 
Why are you calling it a sickness for? Right? Like for example, everybody's praying and the mother's not praying. Or the sister's not praying. So the bichara kid, 11 years, like, why isn't she praying? Mom, why isn't mom praying? Like, why are you praying? Oh, I'm sick. Like, come on. You're not sick. Just say that Allah, for women over a certain age, is the way we do it. Over a certain age, they give them a holiday from prayer. I've never heard a kid yet saying, man, that's discrimination. <laughs> Men don't worry about discrimination. That's discrimination. Why are they getting the, you know? I don't know. They're just like, okay, fine. Alhamdulillah. Like, be, be, I'm not saying be vulgar about it and like advertise it. But at the same time, you need to deal with it in a professional, formal, proper way. When they're old enough, they'll understand. Right? So, you see, parents need to be, uh, the fifth point here is parents need to be absolutely aware, as far as possible, what's going on with their children. No, you can't be aware. Like, that does not mean spying. That does not mean, like, take their phone, always check through. Because they'll just, if you do that, they'll just figure out another way to do it. They'll just disguise the files as the cash. Not money, but C-A-C-H-E, I think. The cash of the system. A system file. What's make Right? Delete, undelete. I'm not giving ideas, but what I'm trying to say is that that's not the way to do it. Right? Because when you set up a system, people know how to overcome the system. You need to be generally aware. And if you have a good communication, they'll tell you about their vulnerabilities, if they've fallen for something, if they've messed up somewhere, they will, they will, they will generally at least voice it out. You just have to keep abreast of who their friends are. If they're playing, for example, Fortnite, then you need to know who the other guys are that they're playing with. Because, subhanAllah, just recently I'm dealing with a, well, uh, there's a case of a person who's got a 60 and now she's 17 year old and through Twitter of some guy, little uh, guy her age from America has literally convinced her to atheism right so they managed to get her away from that it became better for a while but now going back in that direction you have to be aware Does it, and there's another 17 18 year old very committed to trying to help her out of the faith and uh, giving her plan B's or like what would happen if your parents would throw you out and it, it's just gone too far and there's a number of cases like that there's another one who I, I, I was told to speak to her on the phone and she started literally giving me evidences for aspects of Christianity she was just too far gone like, I was like she's giving me dawah to Christianity like this is wrong in Islam this, I'm trying to respond to her and you know what she told me she said oh you're just a, a better speaker that's why I can't you know, give your, but there are responses to these things. That's how deluded it can become. Allah prevent and protect. You have to be aware so that you can catch sooner than later. Because once you've got social media, you've literally invited the whole world into your house or into your child's room on their gadget. So you're going to have to be very, very aware because you're allowing everybody in and you can't like not allow them either. There's somebody who tried not to uh, give their children, uh, their daughter a mobile, pushed it, pushed it, pushed it until the age of 16. Then they found out she actually got one and was hiding it. Uh, it took two, three months to find out. 
uh, to, to when she left it somewhere because how protected are you going to be eventually remember if you do anything wrong you can only hide it for so long that's the rule of this world okay you guys if you do anything wrong and you're going to hide it you can only hide it for so long eventually you'll get caught okay oh, just don't do it you will eventually get caught so they found it now what turns out is that here the parents were overdid it Imagine a girl, 16 years old, all her friends have a phone and she doesn't have one. That's a difficult one. So, the, you know what it is, is that once you get a teenager, your relationship cannot be one way anymore. Your relationship has to be constantly, your, your, your discipline, relationship, your focus needs to constantly be adjusted. A new challenge every day, so you have to adjust. How hard you want to be, how soft you want to be, how allowing, how accommodating, how strict. You have to adjust it. And number two, you cannot win every battle. Remember that. It's just the laws, the opportunities, availability, exposure. It's just too much that you cannot win every battle in this country at least. You cannot win every battle. You're just going to have to win the big battles and you're going to have to give up some battles. It's very difficult. And just make it work. But keep asking for help because sometimes we just don't know. We go down too hard on certain things. The way I like to understand it is something I learned from Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. Muawiyah radiallahu anhu inherited the Khilafah after a huge turmoil from the end of Uthman radiallahu anhu. Was, Uthman radiallahu was murdered. Ali radiallahu anhu at his time many more fitnas came up and trials. He was then martyred, killed as well, assassinated. And then it was Hassan radiallahu anhu for a while. And then eventually it was Muawiyah radiallahu And then he brought stability. But there were factions, were at, there were so many conflicting factions. So how did he manage to bring them together? So he says that my relationship with my people is like uh, a tug of war on a string. No, a piece of hair, a strand of hair. Imagine you're holding one, something as thin as a hair. And I'm, I'm like, we have to, I have to try to pull it my way. And you're going to try to put it your way and we can't let it break. Otherwise it's all gone. So he says, if they pull too much, I sometimes have to let go. And if they try to pull too much, then if they're going too much, then I have to then pull back. That's a tug of war. You can't win every... There's some people, they want to like win every battle, but believe me, I'm telling you, it's very difficult. Unless you've played it right from the beginning and your children are awliya from the beginning, meaning walis. MashaAllah, Madarzad Wali, as they say, they've just been born as Walis, then khalas, you've got no problem. They'll take you to Jannah, inshaAllah. InshaAllah, all of our children will take us to Jannah. So, that, that, that's, that's uh, about that. Now, the third point is mental health issues. This is a big and real issue. Do you know that one out of every four teenage girls have a mental health problem? A quick, check it out, BBC, 22nd of November, 2018. There's an article and there's probably many other articles. One in four girls have a mental health problem. What does mental health problem mean? It doesn't mean that she goes crazy. Men, people think mental health means like they start talking bakwas. And they st start acting like a madman. That's not what mental health is. I've told people, I've tried to tell stop calling it mental health. Call it psychological problem. People might be a bit more, you know... Uh, accepting of it because when you say mental health people just say mental that means bagal. do you understand people with uh, overly stressed with depression that's a mental health problem um, people with various traumas 
uh, and, and so on. It's mental health problem. One in four girls have a mental health problem of some sort or the other. And that many Muslim girls are involved in that. It could be for many, many different reasons. It could be for many, many different reasons. You have to know when your mood, the girl's mood is changing or the boy's mood is changing. What's going on? We've got many, not many, but we've got a number of cases of abuse, which are the worst of them. They have a lifelong impact. And the parents, if they're not seen to have dealt with it, the parents, children will start hating the parents that you did not deal with it. They just want to brush it on, like, that's not enough. I've had cases of adult women and men who are still suffering from abuse at young age, especially sexual abuse. It scars you for life. It then makes you think that, why did Allah allow that to happen to me? Or it, another way to think about it that they do is, if it happened, that means I'm dirty and I can't be pure. Nobody's spoken to them about it. They've just brushed it under the, to- under the carpet. They need some kind of counseling, but be careful about the counselor. It's like we can't win. We just don't have enough good counselors, religious counselors. I know a, a case of somebody who's, uh, uh, what do you call it, wondering whether he's, was it? I can't even remember if it was a, whether he thinks he's homosexual or whether he thinks he's a girl. I'm not sure it's one of those two cases. And he went to a counselor, a certain Muslim counseling service, who told him, like, yeah, yeah, you should explore that. Then I checked it up and it was actually another, you know, uh, uh, of a different kind of. Uh, background. SubhanAllah, it's only in the West where you can have clinics where they will give you chemicals to help you transition. Uh, it's not available in poor countries because you need chemicals, you're shoving chemicals down inside. And alhamdulillah, now people are waking up to this, so there's this controversy about the clinic that was doing that. That children don't have the right to make up that decision yet, and so on. I hope more is understood about this. But it's very difficult. So parents should be alert and they should take action. Action needs to be compassionately because they were our children at the end of the day. So there are therapies out there for these things, for trauma, mental traumas, mental issues. And we take, uh, in the, we had in the madrasa where uh, my wife is teaching and there's a girl who's slashing her wrist. You're gonna need intervention. That's safeguarding. Why is she slashing her wrist for? That is this one in four have a mental health problem. You see, another thing is that a lot of parents, they do certain things with their child based on culture. Eventually, like, forcing them to marry someone. And they say that this is Islamic, but it's actually not Islamic to force your daughters to marry someone. It happens more in some cultures than others. All right? What then happens is that these children leave Islam afterwards. There's a, girl, there's a woman who called me, she's about 40 years old, and she was asking about some small fiqhi masala. So I explained, and then she carried on discussing, and then she says, I, my husband's a non-Muslim. Now that for me was very confusing, that she's asking about a very specific masala of somebody who's really practicing, but she's married to a non-Muslim, which is obviously invalid in Islam. Like, how did that happen? She's about 40 now. She said, well, my parents married me off to someone. And, you know, I've, uh, the assumption would be that that was Islamic. 
that you have to listen to your parents in that and that was Islamic. Islam must be a bad religion then. They don't look for your happiness. So I'm going to tell the youth here that if you have been traumatized, abused, and you think it's Islam, then you better find out from somebody else if it's really Islam. It could just be just somebody's selfishness, some other culture or some sort. Don't blame Islam for it. It's so easy. Shaitan is there to blame Islam so that you leave the religion. As though you're going to get any better outside. As though these things don't happen everywhere. A lot of the stuff that happens, it happens everywhere. It's not in Islam that it happens. Somebody may have told you it's Islamic that you have to, you know, this is Islamic. That's why, but that's not what it is. A lot, I, I, I've actually checked the, one of the, some of the main excuses for people to become atheists. And mostly it's from Christians. And most of them is because they thought something was Christianity, whereas it was actually not. They thought something was Christianity, some abuse, some weird idea. It was actually not Christianity, but they thought it's Christianity. Similar thing is happening with Islam. Okay, um, I don't know. There's peer pressure. That's a big thing. So this is what somebody told me. This is what some young people told me. As soon as you get into secondary school, when you're 12 years old or something, this is what you get exposed to now. Music is the first thing. Right? So if you're not being into music, now people are listening to music and they're telling you, hey, have you heard that song? Have you heard that? That's the lightest of it, I think. Then body parts. They're teenagers now. There's adolescence. The estrogen and the testosterone is, mashallah, raging. You probably don't even know it's happening, but that's what it is when you're 13, 14, 15. And discussions about body parts, sexuality starts taking place. Experiences, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend situation, that probably starts at 11. Imagine if you're in, all of your friends have, uh, you're, you're going to a, a school, um, non-Muslim school, for a general regular school, I mean, even in Muslim schools, but general regular school, and three friends you have, two of them have girlfriends. That's going to be tough on you, right? That, hey, I don't have one. But you have to realize that this is not correct at this time. It's a major distraction. It's haram, losing your youth in that, and it's not your right time yet. So that's the second thing. Then, subhanAllah, now, Allah protect, there's a discussion about Trying it out with the same gender, if I just keep it like that, especially among girls, it's more so among girls because generally women are girls are closer to their friendships are much tighter and more intimate. So it's so easy for Shaitan to lead that way. Let me tell you, even if you've had an experience or people have talked about it, it does not mean that you are actually a homosexual. There's one girl, she, there was a little encounter and she got worried now that she is homosexual. In fact, there's two. Alhamdulillah, one is very happily married and everything. It's just that because of the narrative out there, it means that if there's an experience, it's like you are that. And once you're that, then you take the whole thing as a religion. That gets confusing for a lot of people. Of course, then there's masturbation. That's another one. They, I, I've heard that they actually casually talk about it among friends. Some people are saying, It's really sad. That you're causing yourself harm. It's haram to do that. Just wait until you get married. Right? 
Then pornography is another one. Subhanallah, pornography. It, don't ever get exposed to that because your friends... I talked to one kid, he said, Alhamdulillah, my friends aren't like that, but I know there's others who do that. It's quite rife, especially if they got the phones. And not just that, then a lot of the girls really, really get abused here. Because they are, if they want to fit in, or they want to be something, then they are then pressured to send intimate pictures of themselves. And you know how bad it is? We got a question from a woman who's now 20, 21. She's maritable age. And look at the question. She said that the guy who I'm in, who's, you know, prospective uh, spouse, prospective suitor, partner, he's asking if I can send intimate pictures. Now, I just got shocked. Why did I get shocked? I'm not shocked that there's people who do this, but that she couldn't say straight away, no, haram, I it might be allowed, but I'm doubtful, so let me ask. Ajeeb. It must mean that it's so common that there's people who even think it might be okay. Why would you ask the question? Why wouldn't you just say, no man, that's haram. Or if you were going to do it, like I don't care anyway. See what I'm saying? Remember, girls and boys, especially the girls, you put anything out there, you send it even privately, even on Snapchat. <coughs> The internet never forgets. And there are girls out there who have committed suicide because their pictures went viral. Right? This is not a joke. Believe me, this is your life. You're messing it up just for, to fit in, to be, to, 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 so some boy can take advantage of you by saying, hey man, you're so lovely and uh, if you don't send me this, I'm going to do this. Like, get a life. That's not, that's not the way to do it. Another thing they do is you might get somebody who buys you chicken and chips from, you know, when you're coming back from school, right? From, well, you've got loads out here, right? Yeah. Buy you chicken and chips for free. Um, I haven't seen him for such a long time. That's why. We used to teach together. So, is that okay to tell somebody how are you in Bayan? It's okay, right? It's not haram. What are you guys looking at me like that for? That's just to uh, have a little break. Um, so what was I saying? Yeah, they'll buy, you chick, uh, they'll buy you chicken and chips. And you're like, mashallah. Then after about three, four times, then they'll say, you're going to pay me back now. It's like, what do you mean? You got it for me for free. No, you're going to have to pay back. And the guy's bigger than you. Or there's two of them. How are you going to pay back? You don't have that kind of money. How would you pay back? Okay, we'll find a way for you to pay back. You have to take this package to that road, like three roads away. Okay, man, that's easy. So you take a package from there, you don't know what's in there, and you go and drop it off to some other shady-looking place. Do you understand? Do you know what they're telling you to take? You, you know that already. <coughs> so they make you drug runners. Now, when you've done that a few times, they're going to say, well, we're going to tell, some, we're going to tell the police that you did this. Yeah. Can you see how the small, small steps are being taken and you get blackmailed? Just run a mile straight away. Peer pressure is big. Peer, peer pressure is very, very big. Especially when you want to fit in. If you, see, this is what I'm saying for the parents. If you don't make them fit in at home, and they're comfortable at home, and they fit at home, they're going to find some place else to fit in. What a difficult life we live. What a difficult life we live. All of these are stepping stones. Another thing, subhanAllah, 
When you get into secondary school, you start swearing because it sounds cool to swear. Have you seen that? Some people, you don't, you're a cool one, man. Alhamdulillah, Allah protect you. Because you, you do rapping, don't you? Huh? You do nasheeds, inshallah. That's a good thing. You need a hobby. See, if you guys don't have a hobby, then where do you spend your time? When you go into secondary, you're going to have a lot of time. And especially if the no more maktab, you're going to have a lot of time. Where are you going to spend it? Wasting time. So if you have a hobby, like making up poems, doing some artwork, even something as mundane as that, right? Going and reading. Uh, if you don't want to do studies, then go and do something interesting. If that's a sport or a you know, table, whatever it is, table tennis or whatever it is, make sure you have a hobby. Because if you don't have a hobby, then your shay- the shaitan will just make you do other things. Always be strong with a hobby. Have the right kind of friends. That's the first thing. Anytime a friend of yours just says something weird or whatever, you want to drop there. You might, but emotionally you're going to want to be with that friend. That's what makes it very difficult. I was a teenager once. I know that this is what would happen. You want to fit in. Uh, One thing that we really need to do as a community and masjid community and just general elders of the community is that there's very few things for Muslim girls to do outside. They might be for boys, they can be footballing, but for Muslim girls with hijab, etc., there's very few activities. Like we really have to think about it. If you want to say, otherwise they're going to just go online and do all these other weird activities. So we're going to have to think of halal activities that they can do. A place for halal activities, whether that be indoor football or whatever it may be. Right? Taking swimming pool uh, or taking a gym or whatever, you're going to have to do that because they can't do it for themselves then they're just going to get caught up in everything else. It's a very important thing. So I think, subhanAllah, uh, I think I'll stop there. I kind of uh, went through most of the major points. There's a number of other points, but I will leave it to your questions for now. Just remember, shaitan has been our sworn enemy from the beginning. He wants to mislead us. All you have to do is just be careful, especially during your teenage years. And inshallah, then after that, you'll get everything in a halal way. And the parents, as parents, we just need to be aware and attentive and get help sooner than later. And our young brothers and sisters, don't suffer in silence. Try to get help sooner than later. Right? Don't suffer in silence. Really, don't suffer. It'll just make it worse. Get some help. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and guide us. What hobbies and uh, interests would you suggest encouraging for teens? I talked to you, it could be sports, it could be... I mean, you give me some ideas. Let's hear from you guys. What do you think would be a good hobby? Sports, football, badminton, basketball. Anything besides sports. I mean, sports is an easy one, but... Reading. Reading. If they don't like reading, then what do you do? Uh, Board games. Board games, okay. Board games. Uh, the other thing is, I've seen, well, I've seen some uh, start calligraphy. Some might start art, artwork, drawing things. Uh, some, come on, give me some ideas. Painting is another one. Sorry? Painting. Cooking. Cooking is another one. A lot of people watch Bake Off, but they never cook anything. It's like, what's the point of watching Bake Off? You don't even cook something. Like, come on, at least cook one thing a week for Bake Off, you're going to watch it. What does the Quran say regarding same-sex marriages? Uh, the Quran 
doesn't speak about that as a marriage. But everywhere the Quran does speak about marriage, it's man and woman to give a technical answer. So even in the hadith as well, there's no validation of same-sex marriage in Islam. It's haram. The ulama have written about it very clearly. That's haram. Now if somebody feels that they have same-sex uh, feelings, they may not be punished for that. Because if you can't help it, then you may not be punished for that. But, that does not, but what Islam does not allow is that you act upon it. There's people with all sorts of feelings. right? There's people with all sorts of feelings. But you're only allowed to act on certain feelings. That's what Islam is. right? This was recently asked by a Muslim boy to my nephew who is present today. He was also told that the Quran doesn't mention it, not allowed. See, the Quran doesn't talk about everything. The Quran talks about general principles. Right? The talk, the, so don't, I mean, if somebody's telling you, oh, it's not in the Quran. In fact, the Quran condemns groups that did have homosexual tendencies, like Nuh al-Islam's people, and so on. And the Quran actually mentions certain punishments as well. Right? So, specifically about same-sex marriages, the Quran, I don't think, even says that, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things the Quran, the Quran doesn't tell you, for example, that you have to do uh, this many subhanallah, subhana rabbi al-azim, subhana rabbi al-a'la in your namaz. Or that Isha has four rakats and it has then two rakats and then three rakats of witr. The Quran doesn't say that. Do you understand? The Quran is some, for some really general ideas, it gives you guidance. Then the Prophet ﷺ clarified further. And then the ulama, they. So there is no validation for same sex marriages in Islam. Like, not at all. Yes, online you will find people arguing for this with half baked ideas. And that is not what any of the Muslim ulama understood until now. Okay. How do I make sure that my school friends aren't falling into the trap of bid'ah in the religion? And if they are, what do I do? I think that's too general a question. In the sense that I don't know which bid'ah you're talking about. So it would depend on which is the bid'ah that they're falling into. So the main thing though is that just a general answer. Is that if you see your friends are falling into a wrong. Then it's your job to try to. Uh, correct them, guide them in the right way. Now, how do you do that? There could be 10 ways of doing that. Don't ever pick the harshest way because then you're just going to become like a little war. Try to find like, what do you think will convince them? What can I persuade them with? Maybe take them out for uh, chicken and chips and then like, look, you know, you're doing that. It's not right. This is why it's not right. You shouldn't do that. This, that and the other. Do you understand? So try to educate them in that sense, in the best way possible. But if you give me more details, then, or um, if you don't get a chance, go to the Maulana, uh, Imam Saab, Maulana Zain Abidin Saab and the other ulama and, and ask them how best to do it. You said tarbiyat starts at a young age, but after hearing this man, how do you get across the communication barrier later on? Look, I will agree that sometimes with some children, they're just introverted from a young age. I don't have an answer for that. Like, I'm going to tell you, I don't have an answer for that. There's some children, they just have, they just don't share anything. Maybe the, it's a genetic thing. The father doesn't share everything. I believe it as, I, I, I can't make judgments, sweeping judgments. Sometimes just the instability in that family. If there's a child who doesn't want to share, maybe the father's like that, maybe the mother's like that. They may be getting, maybe they're not like that. That I don't know. You're going to have to go to a psychologist for that. I don't know about that. 
right? Sometimes it's a, that, that's tough just to get through. And yes, if we've not done tarbiyat, that doesn't mean that, hey, we have to give up tarbiyat afterwards. That's not what I mean either. I'm just saying it's difficult. But we have to do our best. And I think one way is that if we've not done tarbiyah, why haven't we done tarbiyah? Or maybe we've done it in the wrong way. So now let's change our strategy. We're going to have to change our strategy. Right? And if we change our strategy, maybe the children will think, oh, my parents are different now. So they may start opening up. Sometimes what I saw of one person I know is that he used to take different children on holidays individually. Holiday like a short break. So not the whole family, because the whole family then is a certain environment and a certain uh, environment of the whole family. He used to take one daughter. So he gets two, three days, you know, going and doing fun things, but talking as well. Then he take another one and another one. I think that's really good. Right? So it's, you don't have to take a holiday. You can just go out somewhere, right? Take them to, for a meal together. Like, okay, you know, you've done well, let me take you. It doesn't have to be the whole family. That may be one way to change the scene. Can be creative other ways as well. If anybody else knows how else to do that, please let me know as well. I'm not an expert on this. I've written a book on marriage, by the way. Why? Because I've been married for over 23 years, alhamdulillah, with stability, alhamdulillah. And I've dealt with people's, I've been dealing with people's issues for over 20 years. So I thought, okay, I think I'm qualified to write a book on marriage afterwards. Right? Because I mean, you know. But I don't feel qualified yet to write a book on bringing up children. I'm waiting for my eldest two, 23 and 20, to get married and then be settled for two years. Then I say, okay, maybe I've done something right now so I can write a book. You understand? Because yeah. it's difficult, man. So I don't know everything. But, so if you have a good idea, please let me know and please let us know as well. Uh, what is your biggest regret as a teenager? Good question. To be honest, I don't have a regret. I think I did everything and more. There's only one regret I have, which is that why didn't my teachers make me memorize more stuff? And this is academic stuff I'm talking about, so it may be boring for you. But alhamdulillah, I had the best teachers, but they didn't make me memorize like the old scholars used to do. That's the only regret I've got. Seriously, that's the only regret I've got. No other complaints. Right? But that's my only regret. I have no other regrets. I had a wonderful teenage life, alhamdulillah. I was sent at the age of 11 and a half to madrasa. I cried for about two months because... I was missing home. My mom cried for a month as well. But I never wanted to leave. But, but you know, you miss it. And Dalum in those days was, mashallah, a different world. Right? It was a tough world. I had to wash my own clothes. But I don't regret that. I think it helped me survive and get around. Do you understand? It helped me survive. I had to, I had to wash my own clothes at the age of 12, 13. What we would do is we'd get a bucket, we'd put the clothes in water and detergent and soak them. And you're only supposed to soak them for like a day or something. Sometimes you forget. You come back after three days and they're smelly because you've forgotten. SubhanAllah. I used to come home only four times a year. But alhamdulillah, I think that's what made me who I am today. That I can go anywhere in the world and I'm, you know, savvy about it. I don't regret anything, alhamdulillah. And I hope you don't as well. Okay, what do you do if you're 16 years old but don't want to pray? uh, What do you do if your 16-year-old doesn't want to pray Salat? I think maybe change the tact of why you've told them to pray. I gave a little example that might not work with a 16-year-old, but think of some other way. Think of some other way. Um, I had one kid in our madrasa. Uh, he's from not a very religious family. 
And I tell him, look, you better pray Jummah. Like, at least pray Jummah, right? And Jummah means taking out of school and all of that stuff, and parents were not necessarily very supportive. So one day I took Fadail Amal and I read the benefits of Salat. Then the other day we read about the punishments of missing Salat. Now that got him going. Do you understand? So sometimes the carrot works and sometimes the stick works. Sometimes you just need psychology. Look, Allah, or take him to somebody else to listen. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of good, uh, would you call it, lectures on the benefits of Salat. So find a good lecture or a book. In fact, there's a book that this Mawlana Abdul Subhan has written. It's called Why I Pray. I think we have some copies. Right? Why I Pray. Let them read that or read them to them. If they don't want to read. And then make a lot of dua. I believe there's, there's two duas that we should all as parents continuously read. I've seen the blessing of it, I think. Right? First dua is, Rabbi ja'alni muqeem as-salati wa min dhurriyati. Rabbana wa taqabbal dua. Can you tell me the verse and ayah number? Somebody write so I can announce it so they can find it. Rabbi ja'alni, O Allah, make me of the establishers of the prayer. And from my descendants, that means until the day of judgment, you're making dua for everybody that will come from you. Sabko namazi banade. Our Lord, taqabbal dua, accept our duas. So if somebody can tell me the chapter and verse number, the surah, I will, I will announce it because I've forgotten. That's one dua. Right, you've seen that I found huge benefit in this dua, right? along with our other things. Number two, Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yun wa ja'alna lilmuttaqina imama. Our Lord grant us from our spouses and our descendants, our children and descendants, those that will gladden our sight. And make us the imams of the righteous ones. What do you mean make us imams? Basically, I was saying that you all are imams. Do you know how you're imams? You know, if I take you as an example, I'll give you du'as as well, but can I take you as an example? You have grandchildren or children? Children. children. You have grandchildren? Yeah. So, you know those grandchildren of yours and your children? They're not your brothers, are they? They're not your sisters. They are your children. They are very your children, nobody else. Then they will have children. So your grandchildren see you as the grandfather, right? And they'll just multiply. They're all from you. Does that make you feel better? Yeah? It's all your grandchildren, right? Subhanallah. You're the imam of them. It's what you do in your household that will give them that environment. Your children will take... I've seen, you know, in Hajj you get to see many people and in travels. In Hajj, you know, I'm going with 300 people. I see one guy just stands out from the rest. He's got some ajib character, ajib akhlaq, or some special quality. I get talking to him and I find out that, mashallah, somewhere up there he had some buzurg. He had some righteous person as a grandparent. The effect is going to be there. Your piety will affect your generations. And this dua is such a magical dua, the ulama says, that if you read this, then if there's something that bothers you about your spouse and maybe children as well, then either Allah will eliminate that or if it's just a bothersome thing and it's not haram, then you'll get used to it and it won't bother you anymore. But you have to make an effort to, to change it as well. So yeah, do you got it? 14th surah and 39. Okay, so 1439. Okay, 1439. And the next dua I mentioned, that's from 
Surah Al-Furqan, verse 74. Surah Al-Furqan, verse 7. Learn these du'as and just read them over and over again. Multiple times a day. <clears throat> Family-oriented retreats and programs. I found them to be quite useful for somewhere. See what happens, right? It's the psychology of it. Some children, they think it's only their family who are like this. They are Muslim in that particular way. They've not seen Islam practiced by other families. So what then happens is that, for example, I know one girl, she was doing Adima class locally and was half-hearted about it. Then they sent her to another madrasa, boarding madrasa, for, two, for one year. Like, just go for one. She didn't want to go. Just go for one year. She went there and said, like, oh, I want to do it the next year. So I want to finish off there. She saw others, a different style, a different technique, and others also. So it's not just my family that are doing this or my little area. Something you just need to see others doing it. Keep that as an advice. You just need to see others. If you can have family retreats, right, where there's something for the adult women, they see other adult women, and it's all Islamic lectures specifically for them. There's one, for example, in December that I'm going to be attending in Nottingham. So they have for the adults, separate men and women. They have for teenagers, separate program. So when you're with other teenagers, mashallah, you know, uh, that helps to broaden the scope of Islam. Hey, there's other Muslims out there and you can have a collaborative. So sometimes just psychologically, just too confined. And you think that it's just my family. Does tarbiyah fall solely on the mother or father as well? It looks like the father is not involved here in this one. That's why it falls on both. Ultimately, it'll be the father though. You have to remember that. That's why uh, they both need to do it. But ultimately, the questioning is going to be more on the father than the mother. Because he is, in Islamically, he is the head of the house. Not as a dictator, but the one responsible. So remember that. Um, will... Society, no, with society being so fierce and so many distractions, how does one balance Islamic parenting and doing what you can to create Islamic setting, but then school, college, you know, teach the opposite? That's the balance I was talking about. Being aware, um, having the home to be a good refuge, a good place to be, a comfortable place to come back to. So that you go university if you have to or wherever else you're going, you come back because there's an enjoyable place to come. as a sanctuary that you're finding. See what I'm saying? That you don't have to stick out with other people, uh, stay out and do that. It's just making that home that place. That's the short answer, I guess. I am struggling with my salat. Can you advise where to start? I find it hard to make wudu. You know, th this is a big topic. Why do you find it difficult to pray Salat? It's not as simple as, okay, just go and pray. Salat is the biggest pillar and one of the biggest, ish, uh, biggest expressions of Islam. If you're finding it difficult for Salat, it's probably because there's some other things which are not right, which has created a blockage. Allah says in the Quran, Allah has sealed their hearts. This is a sign of low iman. If you go to zamzamacademy.com, I've got a talk on there on low iman. Right? Listen to that. And we've given cures on there. It's just I see that the time is getting along. This will be another one hour bayan on that subject. But it's probably because of low iman that one of the signs of low iman is that you don't even feel like doing good. 
That's what's going on here. So how do you snap out of that? Well, the good thing is, alhamdulillah, that you're worried. That's beautiful. Always keep a window open. So now what you start doing is, you start reading more about salat and the benefits you'll get out. So try to incentivize your salat. Go and read on like, what are the benefits of salat? And wudu, for example, and try to encourage yourself that way. Go and try to pray with somebody else. Group efforts are always better. Of course, if you're a girl, you know, go and find somebody else you can pray together with. Not jamaat necessarily, but just at least together. Find a friend that you'll... Here, let's start praying salat. Just some practical ideas. Somebody asked me in school when I was doing wudu, why do we purify our bodies when only a pure heart is required in salat? You know, this question is a false question. The premise there is incorrect. It is not correct to say that you only need a pure heart in salat. You actually do need a pure body to present yourself. You're a smelly person, you're going to present yourself in... I mean, a rhetorical question, the queen invited you, probably isn't going to, but if she does, <clears throat> you're going to go there all smelly, I guess. Right? Because you just need a pure... You're going to tell her, you know what, I've got a pure heart. You're going to go for your interview, like, I've got a pure... Just don't look at the way I do everything else. Right? Like, come on, like, Bewakufi or what? Like, can you not see a messed up question when you see it? Like, just, just tell her, man, what do you mean a pure heart? Like, aren't we more than a heart? Yes, the heart governs everything. But if you're not clean outside, it means you don't have a pure heart. <coughs> Let me say that. Purity is half of our faith. Yeah. And you've got a pure heart, you want to be pure. You've got a problem with wudu and not being pure, then that means there's some, there's some garbar there. Sorry, I got a bit heated there. But come on, man. Think about it. Yes, a pure heart. But we get a pure heart in salat, through salat. But the one thing we can do is get purified. The place has to be clean. Right? Because Allah, who is the king of the worlds, who is the creator, wants us to express ourselves in a pure way. And you know, whenever we want to be dignified and respect somebody, we purify ourselves. We take a shower. We try not to show disheveled clothing. Right? All of that is human understanding. That's what social requirements show. So why not with Allah? Why do we treat Allah as lower than anybody else? That, hey, just have a pure heart. This whole idea that it's only a pure heart, that's important. You don't have to really pray. As long as you've got a pure heart, that's a silly idea. That's a messed up heart, I think. <clears throat> you should tell him, uh, I mean, he said, what should I answer? He's saying, look, if I break up logically your question, you're trying to say that you only need a pure heart. Can you tell me where you're getting the idea from? What's the proof that you only need a pure heart? Challenge that question. Then explain to them that actually Islam requires purity of the whole self. Is there anyone you can talk to about your problems? Okay, so inshallah, you're going to get a helpline soon. There's a big demand. A big responsibility now. Right? Please let everyone know. For ladies only boxing every Wednesday at 7, 80, 7 to 8.15. MashaAllah, boxing out of everything. Wow. What are you guys doing? Out of all the sports, you found boxing, the most controversial sport out there. I don't know, man. Is that like protection against the husband or uh, self-protection or what? I don't know. Where is this happening? I mean, they didn't tell us where it's happening. I thought it was a masjid thing. Okay. <clears throat> How can you, uh, instead of boxing, do jujitsu, Something like that. Do grappling. Something with discipline. Yeah, it's, that avoids the face. 
I think our brother Khabib, one of the reasons that he stopped and he used to do more grappling even in his mixed martial arts is because you're not allowed to hit the face. And boxing is more about the face. I did kickboxing for a year, but I never beat anybody's face up. It was just these, what do you call them? The bags, you know that. Yeah. It was just to keep fit, to try to keep fit. How can you concentrate in Salaam fully focused when it's so hard? I've got a... Um, I've got a lecture on that on Zamzama Karim specifically that inshallah you'll find that so I'm just hurrying up because we've got too many questions to answer how do you maintain deen for the teenagers they have a mind of their own you tried your best with a balance during youth I mean that's what this talk is about right maybe they send these questions in the middle of the talk what is the ruling on phones uh, phones are halal for halal things and haram for haram things what age it really depends I would probably say what do you guys think what's the like an appropriate age for the children to have a phone if you have to give it to them. What do you think? About 15, I would agree with you. Probably about 15 plus. MashaAllah, you're onto it, man. Yeah. I think about 15 plus. I think that's probably when it's okay. Uh, what age should you give your child a phone? Okay, there you go. And he says, if so, what type of phone? Smartphone or a Nokia type phone? Yeah. If you can get away with a Nokia time, alhamdulillah, a lot of people are very happy if you can get away with it, even adults, but it's difficult nowadays. That's why, you know, I believe that technology is only going to get bigger and more complicated and more uh, virtual and realistic and so on. So banning things is not going to be the way. It's going to be about discipline how you use these things. You know, soon I won't have to come here, right? I could be lecturing somewhere else and literally you will see me here as a hologram. The technology already exists. It's just not being pulled out. Uh, it's not being, you know, pushed out. But eventually, you know, you will see me here interacting with you like this, but I won't be here. Yeah. Right? It already exists. So are we going to keep saying ban, ban, ban? It's impossible. We live in a, this, uh, what do you call it? This, um, this, uh, this sphere of... Uh, we're within the sphere of technology, of the media, you can't avoid it. So it's about disciplining ourselves of how to do it. Right? And there's a lot more, if you know, we're nowhere yet in terms of what's going to happen. Atheism is a big challenge in the youth via social media. Should parents step up their learning of the deen? Absolutely. Because how are you going to respond to your children if they ask questions? So you know those home discussions that you're going to have, those free discussions, you're going to have to take that as a... <coughs> Opportunity to learn yourself. This is a big problem what we have. How many of you, right, like honestly, like how many of you of us here have read a book on Islam after Maktab? How many of you have read a, any book on Islam after you've been to Maktab? Right, that's about what, tw 10, 15 people out of, right? So, maktab means when you're a little kid doing madrasa. Yeah. After they've never read a book on Islam. Do you understand? We read in maktab, which we needed at that time, but we read it with a child's mind. We understood Islam. After that, whatever we know about Islam is maybe from Jumu'ah bayans, or from what people you hear, but you've never looked at the hadith or Quran directly for yourself. A ta'aleem is one thing, right? It's good. But this is like you took a kitab and you read it. I think everybody should read the book, especially if you want to explain Islam to others. It's called the 
A Thinking Person's Guide to Islam. It's one of the best modern books on Islam. You'd be surprised at the discussion in and what you will learn. I benefit from even though I've been studying Islam for such a long because the way he puts it across. Right? Number two, how many of you have taken a class on Islam? On anything related, a hadith class, a tafsir class, a fiqh class, or any other class, aqidah class, after you left madrasa, meaning after you were 12, 13. Yeah. So, how many? Very few. Why? Is that your religion? Shouldn't you know more about it? Or is it enough that you just hear stuff? See what I'm saying? Very few people continue to learn. So if you... One of the ways to do it is take an easy kitab, get some suggestions from Maulana, right? That what kitab should we do ta'aleem from? And then you read it at home and you learn from it. Don't get complicated books. Like that it'll confuse you. Get easy ones. And then after that what you do is uh, whenever you have an issue, mark it and then ask. But that way, mashallah, you'll get through quite a bit and it'll be very good learning process and very useful. Yes. Um, so in the bayan, you said that, um, like in Islam, uh, when you go to secondary, you usually get girlfriend, boyfriend. But not in Islam. No, it's not allowed. It's not allowed. It's haram. Yeah. Yet. Um, is it allowed in Islam for you to have a girl as a friend, or for a girl to have a boy as a friend? Just in general. It's not okay. So that's a good, simple question. Is that what is the gender interaction in Islam? So you are not allowed to have a friend. What does it mean by a friend? Friend means that you get too casual. Because friends are casual, right? You get intimate and casual. So you can't be doing high fives and you know, just casual banter. Because there's, what happens with that is that it eventually leads to other things. And that's not allowed. However, that does not mean that you can't, on a project, for example, you've been doing, like, have a formal conversation. You're allowed to have a formal conversation. Um, and i give you an example. There's a masjid where a, somebody brought a, a woman to become a Muslim. This was maybe between Asr and Maghrib or between Zuhar and Asr. There were some brothers uh, that were there in the masjid. And they brought her. Okay, you need to give her the kalima. I said, no, no, no. There's no women here right now. Go and take her to somebody's, this person's house. Now, that's incorrect. They acted as if they've never spoken to a woman in their life. Like, if you have to call up Vodafone, and there's a woman there, no, no, can you give me a man, please? <laughs> right? Or they go to the doctor's surgery, and there's a female receptionist. You go to Dr. Jamil's uh, surgery, there's a female receptionist. No, 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 I'm only going to talk to Jamil Right? Formally. Okay, if you're in India, you're going to the kitchen as well, in some of these families. The kitchen is going I'm not saying that's right. But formal discussion is allowed. They should have given her the kalima because if they didn't, I don't think she died, but if she died before she took her, they would have been, can you believe it, they would have died on kufr. So some people, there's an extreme view about this. Okay. Everything related to Islam, no, you can't. But or it's okay to talk about. Talk. So you have to remember, formal discussion is allowed, but anything beyond that is not allowed. So you kind of a casual like, hey, how's it going? And you know, because that leads to other things. So there's no, we don't encourage that at all. I think it's very important. And I, alhamdulillah, I think, uh, so it's very important for parents, for uh, members of the community 
to get involved in schools and other official establishments, not just schools, I think we need to go much further so that we can have a voice there. Because if they don't know what the Muslim requirements are, Muslim demands are, then somebody else is going to make that demand. And then, alhamdulillah, I think things are changing. 20 years ago, the law would pass, then you'd get upset. And then it's like, why did they pass this law? Now, I think they're getting involved a bit earlier, that when the white paper comes out and the consultation period, we're getting there. But I think we need to go even further. We need to be there making the law as part of the process. Right? I think that's very important. Now, of course, everybody can't do that, but we do need... I'll give you an idea. We just don't think... We'll let Palestine be bombed, and then we'll send hundreds and millions in rebuilding. But we don't think about preempting it. There's some campaigns, you know, and like your MPs campaigning them before, uh, help them in their causes so that they will vote against, you know, and so on. There's one of our cousin communities, right, where they have one of their scholars who is paid literally. Like, imagine you get uh, Maulana Harun Saab. Malna Zul, you know, Malna um, Zainul Saab, or somebody, you just pay him a salary, 24, 30,000, whatever. Your job is just to campaign. Your job is to just have meetings and represent us. We don't think that far. Like, all you have to do is the 30 masjids of London, 1,000 a year. That's it. That's all it is. Masjid Tawhid, 2,000, whatever. It's worth it. Just say all of uh, Newham, is that right? Yeah? All the masjids in Newham, we're just gonna, somebody that's their job is to represent Islam. They're gonna go and talk, give talks to Islam, uh, they're gonna go and meet schools, governors, school authorities, uh, NHS, uh, all of that. You know? That's, it's just why don't we think about it like that? Why wait? Aren't we part of this community? Aren't we British? I'm very proud British, right? Alhamdulillah, in England, one thing we have is that if you go to France, many of our North African brothers there and sisters, they look more French than we look British, but they hate being French. Whereas, alhamdulillah, we're fine with being British. Like, okay, yeah, alhamdulillah, that's what we are. We don't even have to prove it. We don't even have to go on about it. But then you're going to have to take part in the process. So I think this is really, we need to think about this. Right? It's a simple idea, just one or two thousand pounds a year, and, you know, for each masjid and... Let's, let's find somebody who can do that work for us. Otherwise, people have to volunteer and they're struggling themselves and so they do it for a short time and then they can't do it and it's, it's just wrong. Right? So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. Thanks for sitting here so patiently. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. جزاك الله خيرا السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته